In the 1970s, punks often wore Nazi swastikas because it was the most anti-establishment thing they could do. But did you know that during the actual Nazi regime, certain young Germans wore checked British jackets and listened to American music because it was the most anti-establishment thing they could do? The Swing Jugend, or Swing Kids, were rebellious, energetic, and libertine. They danced to Dixieland, brawled in the streets with Hitler Youth, and said never mind the bullets to regime sexuality. Were the swing kids the punk sex rebels of Nazi Germany? That's what we're talking about today. I'm B.T. Newberg, and this is the History of Sex Short Shorts. History of Sex is sponsored by Dr. Jillian Kenny, historian of women, sex, and magic in medieval Europe. I'd like to thank our new Patreon patron, Elizabeth Finn, for making this episode possible. Hey folks, we're about to dive into a story of young rebels, and if you are feeling rebellious this year, why not fan that flame with an audiobook about punk rebels on Audible? For example, you could check out Punk Avenue, Inside the New York City Underground, 1972-1982, by Phil Marcod, Legs McNeil, and Debbie Harry. Yes, that's right, that Debbie Harry from Blondie. It's stories from an insider in the scene who worked with Debbie Harry and had the Ramones play their very first gig at his party. Or maybe you could go for some girl power instead. Try Revenge of the She-Punks, a feminist music history from Polystyrene to Pussy Riot by Vivian Goldman. It's all about the history of women in punk with stories from as far afield as Colombia and Indonesia. But why Audible? Well, Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash btnewberg and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. That's audibletrial.com slash b-t-n-e-w-b-e-r-g for your free audiobook. All right, let's get started. Time for today's Short Shorts. Short, 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 short. The Hitler Youth hated the Swing Kids, and the Swing Kids hated the Hitler Youth. There were Hitler Youth spies infiltrating swing parties and narking on their libertine sexual lifestyles, and if they found each other on the wrong side of town, violence would erupt, and by the end, SS leader Heinrich Himmler ordered that the ringleaders of the swing movement be exterminated. But let's back up. How did something as innocuous as swing ever become a counterculture phenomenon to challenge the fascist regime. 
swing dancing goes back to the 1930s in America. It grew out of jazz to the beats of Benny Goodman and the like. Dance halls raged with a raucous step called the Lindy Hop, which is, you know, one of those eye-popping dances where your feet are moving so fast it looks like it's only possible in those old silent black and white films where they look sped up because the frame rate is just that low. That's what the Lindy Hop is like. And then, of course, partners are flipping one over the other, ducking between each other's legs. It's nuts. Look it up. And we'll put a video in the episode post on our website at historyofsexpod.com so you can see what I mean. Other popular swing dances of the time included the Susie Q, Truckin', Peckin' Jive, the Big Apple, and the Shag. And, of course, then there was the Jitterbug. And this style of music and dance dominated American pop culture in the 30s and 40s. But what about Germany? Well, as we learned last time, jazz was no stranger to Germany. In fact, people there were either crazy for it or crazy against it because it represented a terrifying foreign African-Americanizing influence. And when Hitler came to power in 1933, they tried to stamp out jazz, but it went underground where it smoldered, waiting. Okay, now fast forward to 1938 in Hamburg, Germany. By this time, the Nazi regime had already been in power for a full five years, and it had been made compulsory that all young people in Germany must join the Hitler Youth or its female equivalent, the League of German Maidens. Now, soon after that, authorities started getting reports of certain young people skipping Hitler Youth classes or refusing participation outright. And these were not just any youth either, as it turned out, but a particular kind with a very particular look that was about as anti-conformist as you could find. Their hair, for example, defied authority. At a time when proper Nazi girls wore their hair neatly up in a bun, these girls wore theirs long, wild, and overflowing. And whereas proper Nazi boys cropped their hair short, these boys grew it long, down to the collar. And this was shocking. These were basically the Mohawks of 1938. But still more shocking was what they wore, foreign fashions. The style for boys, for example, is described in a Hitler Youth report narking on these swing kids. The predominant form of dress consisted of long, often checked English sports jackets, shoes with thick crepe soles, showy scarves, Anthony Eden hats, which I guess was kind of like a derby or top hat at a time when the bowler was much more popular, and an umbrella on the arm, whatever the weather, and, as an insignia, a dress shirt button worn in the buttonhole with a jeweled stone. Now, this dress might sound foppish and fun to us today, but at the time... Well, it was pure insurrection. Remember, fashion was a fascist obsession, and it was very important to fascist economics that people buy local so that foreign nations could not cripple your economy with sanctions on the materials to make clothing. Everyone was supposed to wear local German-made designs, but these kids specifically chose to do otherwise. And that Anthony Eden hat, well, Anthony Eden 
was a politician of the day in Britain with whom the Germans were already on the brink of war by 1938. And that checked sport jacket, well, that was British too. And the umbrella that makes you think of a clockwork orange or something like that, well, all of that was calculated for its shock value at the time. Just like the punks of the 1970s, the swing kids adopted the most aggressive look that they could find. Last but not least, swing kid girls rebelled most of all, not with dress, not with wild hairstyles, but with makeup. That's right, cosmetics. Remember, at the time, the proper look for a quote-unquote good girl was to wear no makeup at all. Your beauty was supposed to emanate naturally from your superior Aryan genes. Well, swing girls snorted at that and painted their faces garishly. They reddened their lips with lipstick, lacquered their nails with polish, and even penciled in their eyebrows. At the time, they would have stuck out as much as any ear-ringed, nose-ringed, Susie and the Banshees punk chick of the 1970s. And that is just how they wanted it. In the 70s, the punk swastika shocked the establishment, but in 1938 Hamburg, the swastika was the establishment, so they went the other way. Long hair, British fashions, American music and dance, makeup. That was their way of saying, I will not conform. But it did not end there. See, swing was more than just music and dance. Like punk, it was a whole lifestyle. And that lifestyle was cool, rebellious, and libertine. In an era of crushing collective conformity, the German Zwingjugend embraced a free-spirited, free-loving individualism. They gathered at private parties, played imported records, especially Dixieland, danced up a sweat, and then paired off. Now, when authorities started arresting some of these kids and interrogating them, they began to realize the extent of this libertinism. Historian Michael Cotter quotes one detained swing youth who told his captors about the swing lifestyle. Personal devotion usually played less of a role than the calculated choice of a partner for sexual intercourse. The girls kept moving around in our circle, with those partners being favored who possessed rooms safe from outside interference. And the swing youth goes on to describe what sounds almost like a key party. He says at private gatherings, lots would be drawn. After which all participants lost their garments to the point of complete nakedness. And thereafter, as Kata reports, the boys would take turns with the girls in the available bedrooms. They would engage in what was known as French practices, by which I gather Kotter must mean oral sex, but Nazi stenographers just wrote down sexual deviance. Whoa, that's some serious swinging right there. And by the way, I did try to find out if swinging, i.e. the modern sexual lifestyle of swapping partners outside of marriage, originated in some way with swing music, but as far as I can tell, no, there doesn't seem to be any connection there. But to hear this swing kid detainee's testimony, well, it sounds like there might as well have been a connection. This sounds like a swinger party. It's swing kids acting like modern swingers. Now, it is possible 
that some of this was exaggeration or isolated incidents. I mean, we're limited to the few surviving testimonies of these swing kids whenever they were arrested and told the authorities about this stuff. And, you know, under duress, you might make up a whole bunch of stuff depending on what you think your captors want to hear. Although I can't imagine any reason to think that the captors would want to hear this. So I tend to think that there's probably something about this testimony that is accurate to the swingers' sexual lifestyle. These punks flew in the face of fascism and its version of sexuality. But it wasn't the sex per se that horrified the authorities. I mean, as we've seen, the Nazis actually wanted to get the population up and were not above nudge-nudging youth to mess around outside of marriage in order to do so. Indeed, the Hitler Youth and the League of German Girls, the quote-unquote proper boys and girls of the time, were getting it on like rabbits. What bugged Nazis about the swing kids was more the free and indiscriminate nature of swing sex. You see, they couldn't control it, and race played a part in the swing kids' rebellion. See, as part of their apolitical, libertine lifestyle, the swings rejected Nazi ideology, including its racism, and of course, that was not going to go down well with the authorities. Kater reports fully Jewish girls between 15 and 18 among the swing throngs, and half-Jews were known among them too. Now, I tried to find out if other races, like blacks, for example, were also among their number. Couldn't really find anything specifically indicating it, but that might be simply because blacks comprised a far smaller percentage of the population in Germany at the time. Most likely, in contrast to the popular opinion of Germany, blacks probably would have been welcome at swing parties if only as one more way to give the middle finger to state authorities and conformism. So if you were at one of these swing parties and lots were drawn, and it so happened that you wound up with someone of another race, whether Aryan, Jewish, African, or what have you, well, hey, hey, live free, let's party. That is what horrified the authorities. Their precious Aryan bloodlines were being polluted by these kids. Now, these German teens used music and sex as a means of expression against the fascist regime. Officially, they were apolitical. But, you know, in a police state like Nazi Germany, just exercising freedom was a political act. They were just having fun, yes, but they were also implicitly making a political statement. As historian Lonnie Sherrod writes, Ignoring the warnings of authorities, swing youth chose to maintain their uninhibited jazz lifestyle, thus challenging Nazi indoctrination efforts. In this sense, they represented a cultural resistance movement. So swing dance and swing sex was a celebration of freedom inside a state that was anything but free. Just like the punks of the 70s, the swing kids of Germany were aggressively anti-establishment. And you might argue that the latter were actually the more bold of the two, the swing kids, if only because the consequences that they faced were far worse. By 1942, the swings were being actively suppressed by the regime. Lonnie Sherrod writes, 
Breaking the swing movement became a pet project of SS leader Heinrich Himmler, and by the end of the war, many of the swing kids found themselves in Nazi prisons and work camps. So the swing kids risked life and limb for freedom. I mean, remember, in Nazi Germany, prisons and work camps, well, those were essentially death sentences. You might have survived, but more likely you would be worked to death. The punks of the 70s, well, they might have found themselves in jail now and then, but they never faced consequences like that. The ringleaders of the swing movement paid the ultimate price, as did many others. But for a few brief years, the German swing scene was glorious. This subculture, this counterculture, raged against Nazi oppression. And in some parts of Hamburg and other cities with a swing scene, there were actually streets that they controlled in their fight against their rivals, the Hitler Youth. And you did not want to be caught on the wrong side of the tracks. Swings were routinely assaulted by gangs of Hitler Youth, but they also dealt it right back. Hitler Youth kids could find themselves on the receiving end of a beating if they strayed outside their territory. See, unlike soldiers, Hitler Youth were not allowed to carry guns, so you could actually give them a good trouncing, even during the war years. And all that the Hitler Youth could do about it in return was narc on you to the Gestapo, the authorities, which they frequently did to the great cost of the swing kids. But in an era when it seemed like the machine was closing in on you, and you probably didn't expect to live very long anyway, well, kicking a cocky Hitler Youth kid right in the swastikals, well, maybe they felt that that was worth it. Some things are more important than living. And for the swing kids, what was more important was freedom. In the midst of the Nazi state, they were free. And they had fun. Historian Detlev Poikert quotes a 1940 Hitler Youth report of a Hamburg swing festival attended by some 500 to 600 young people engaging in the ghastliest of dances. Sometimes two boys danced with one girl. Sometimes several couples formed a circle, linking arms and jumping, slapping hands, even rubbing the backs of their heads together, and then bent double, with the top half of the body hanging loosely down, their hair flopping into the face. They dragged themselves round practically on their knees. When the band played a rumba, the dancers went into wild ecstasy. They all leapt around and joined in the chorus in broken English. The band played wilder and wilder items, none of the players was sitting down any longer, and they all jitterbugged on the stage like wild creatures. Several boys could be observed dancing together, always with two cigarettes in the mouth, one in each corner. So that was what a party looked like for the rebel sex punks of Nazi Germany. The swing kids moshed against the militaristic regime in a way that later punks could only hope to parody. And their sexual ideals amounted to a countercultural rebellion for which many paid the ultimate price.
That's it for today, folks. I hope you learned something. I certainly did. Next time, we're going to have a showcase episode bringing you the story of jazz dancer turned spy, Josephine Baker. So cock your gun and hide it in your banana skirt. We're going to see what's shaking not stirred. Next week, it's Bond, Jazz Bond. Folks, if you like what we're doing here, you can support the show by subscribing, rating, and reviewing. You can also pledge on Patreon, where $5 a month gets you a portrait in the time period and culture of your choosing. I will draw you as a painted-up girl with aggressively penciled eyebrows, or an umbrella-toting hooligan boy, lindy-hopping over the back of some horrified Hitler youth normie. Or whatever you want, I'll make you look awesome, I promise. Just go to www.patreon.com forward slash btnewberg, that's patreon.com slash b-t-n-e-w-b-e-r-g. I'll see you next time, folks. I'm B.T. Newberg, and this is the history of sex. Podcast theme music mixed from tracks by Kevin McLeod. For additional credits, references, photos, and more, see our website at www.historyofsexpod.com.